0: Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you and sing alongside of you. Team, thank you for leading us in that this morning. And Why don't you go and grab your Bibles and not turn to the book of Acts. I know you're creatures of habit and you are already opened up to Acts. We've been walking through the book of Acts together, but we're going to enter into a little time of pause there. And Over the next few weeks, we're going to pursue some things that are really core DNA to our church as we kind of go into a new season Uh It's a little bit of a transition for a lot of us. If your family's like mine, it's uh, summer's coming to a close, which means school is back in session, and all the kids go, oh, and all the parents go, yes. So we're entering into that uh, season of the year, and we're going to really hold out over the next few weeks some things that are really core to us as a church. Next week, we're going to dive into what it really looks like and what's it like to be a part of vital community where you are a part of a group of people that are speaking into you and you are speaking into them and there's true accountability and I want to talk about what that looks like and then in a few weeks we'll talk about what it means for us to make Jesus known as a church this responsibility this privilege that's given to us and this morning we're going to actually be in the book of judges so go ahead and take your bible and turn to Judges chapter 2. That might be the nice, white, clean pages of your Bible, I don't know, but Judges chapter 2 is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. As you're turning there, uh, let me kind of set up what we're going to be talking about this morning with really a question. Uh, As you look back over your life, particularly your journey as a follower of Jesus, if you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're new in that relationship. Maybe you've been following the Lord for many years, or maybe you're here this morning and you're not quite to that place of faith yet. But wherever you fall this morning, would you look back over the past few years of your life and think, "Who is it, or maybe what group of people was most influential in my journey with the Lord Jesus Christ?" Or maybe say it this way, who was it in your life or who has it been in your life that because of them you love Jesus a whole lot more? Now maybe there's pictures coming in your mind or faces that you're thinking of. Maybe you're thinking of teachers or maybe you're thinking of parents or maybe you're thinking of friends or whoever that is that come to your mind. I've shared this with you before. I can't answer that question without thinking of my grandmother who's now gone on to be with Jesus, but she was that rock for many years that stable faithful follower of the Lord Jesus and I've always said I could remember when I was a teenager and all the weird stuff that I got into as a teenager I would always drive by my grandmother's house at night and her light would be on every night and I knew my grandmother was in there Bible open knelt down by her bed and she was praying for me and my brother my family huge influence in my life I can remember my mamaw when I first brought Jennifer, my wife, she went, my wife did, but first brought Jennifer home and my mamaw met Jennifer and she had arthritis and she had that little crooked, you know, arthritis figure. And after she met Jennifer, she held out that finger and she said, now, honey, you better hold on to that one. And she was right. I didn't want to incur the wrath of mamaw. So I don't know who that is for you. I think about school teachers and I think about Sunday school teachers and I think about Uh, Different people in my life that God has used that have invested in me. And I love Jesus a whole lot more because of them. Now here's a little bit more serious question maybe for you this morning is this one. Three years from now. Five years from now. Who's going to be saying that about you? In other words, maybe it's happening now, and I hope it is, who who is in your life that you've taken such an intentional investment in that they would say, because of Mike, or because of Dustin, or because of Troy, or Tracy, or whoever it might be, I am loving Jesus more because of their investment in my life. So what we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to go ahead and give you the big idea that we're going to be chasing today as a church family, because this is core to our DNA as a church family. And here's the big idea, and then we're going to walk through Judges 2 quickly. It's this big principle, and it's this big idea. The people of God have always been entrusted with the responsibility to tell the next generation about the greatness and glory of our God. Amen. The people of God, you and I, us, the faith family, we have been entrusted with the privilege and the responsibility, no matter where you are, what season of life you're in, if you're a parent, if you're not a parent, maybe you're a grandparent, whatever the case is, caregiver, that you as a child of God, you have a responsibility, a privilege to pass on, to make known the greatness and the glory and the beauty and the truth of King Jesus to the generation that's going to come after you. What does that look like? How do we go about that? How do we go about that as a church family? Because for us as a family of faith, if you're new and maybe you've been a part of this church for a while or whatever the case is, this is a big deal for us. It's a core conviction for us. We believe it's our responsibility and privilege to invest in the generation that will come after us. Because, listen, there will be a day, Tri-Cities Baptist Church is not going to be here anymore. There'll be a day, you parent, you're not going to be here anymore. There'll be a day, I'm not going to be here anymore. And and the scripture and the story of God's plan throughout the ages is that one generation passes on the truth of God and the greatness of God to the next generation. What does that look like? Judges chapter 2, I'm going to walk you through just a few verses here. We're going to start in verse 7. Let me set up the context of what we're getting ready to read. So when you come to the book of Judges, it is literally... A transition is happening. One generation is dying off or passing off the scene. And another generation is stepping to the front. The generation of a leader, of a man named Joshua. The book of Joshua. You've probably read that before. You're familiar. He has been the leader. He's been God's man, if you will, for leading an entire generation. Now Joshua and that group of men, that group of families, that group of women. they're, They're dying off. And here comes the next generation. Here's what the Bible says about this transition. Verse 7. Speaking of the generation of Joshua says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Man, what a high commendation. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So not only Joshua, but the Calebs and the others who were part of that group. Who had seen... The great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Now pause right there for a second. Here's a generation that had seen God do some amazing things. You've heard the stories. You've read about them. This is the generation that the, the children of the generation, they, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. They were in a desert, dry place. And God supernaturally provided them with food day after day after day after day after day. Millions of them. I mean, there was no Walmart, there was no Amazon you could order from. They had no way to get food and they would wake up every morning except the seventh day and there was food around on the ground that had supernaturally come down from heaven and they lived through that. And watch this. And God did that to teach them no matter what comes, I am your faithful provider. It was this generation that Got up to the edge of the promised land. They were ready to go into Canaan. And the Jordan River separated where they were and the land of Canaan that they were going into. And if you know the story, God supernaturally pushed back the waters of the Jordan River. And it stood up in a heap, the Bible says. And Israel crossed through the Jordan River into the promised land. Imagine seeing that. And they were to see that and they were to learn not just that God does great and mighty things, but that's who he is. And no matter what you face, God is the most powerful, the most satisfying, the most glorious thing you'll ever encounter in your life because they were getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. And the people were ready, getting ready to go into the land where they were surrounded by false gods, little G-O-D-S. And they had a false god for the crops, and they had a false god for the rain, and they had a false god for the water, and they had the false gods of victory and military power. So watch this. As God sends them into the promised land, he says, I'll show you the God who's over the water, and he pushed back the Jordan River. So they would never forget who their God was. They entered into the promised land. They came to the city of Jericho. You know the story. And there were enemies there. And they needed to destroy the city of Jericho. And God says, okay, I'll give you a marvelous, marvelous battle plan. March around the city seven times. And on the seventh day of marching around, the walls of Jericho will fall, and the entire city fell down supernaturally, and God defeated their enemies. Why did God do that? So they would never forget, God is your conqueror. God will fight for you. As you go into this land, you're going to be faced with all kinds of false gods and all kinds of ideas about life and all kinds of practical things. God is your provider. God is your source. God will fight for you. He is your deliverer. He is your savior. And they were never to forget that. So this generation enters into the promised land, and they're there, and they're led by Joshua. And you read that in verse 7, then you come to verse 8, and it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, he didn't have any parents. That was a joke. David Brewer told me that joke. You can blame it on him. (laughs) Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. So Joshua dies off. And that generation also were gathered to their fathers and that entire generation dies off. And here, i got to be honest with you, this to me is one of the most shocking verses anywhere in the Bible. I want you to read this with me. After all that we've just said about this generation, listen to verse 10. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Or the work... That he had done for Israel. Let's be honest. That's got to be a little shocking. After all that we've just talked about. And this incredible generation. Even you could say the greatest generation if you will. Here comes the very next generation after them. And the Bible says they did not know the Lord. They did not know the work the Lord had done for them. What in the world happened? So for you and I this morning as a church family and those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, here's the principle that we want to continue to drive down in the ground. Even looking at this, it's this. We said it earlier. The people of God have always been entrusted with the responsibility to tell the next generation about the greatness and glory of our God. And when we fail to do that, for a myriad of reasons... When we fail to do that, disaster follows. And that's what you're reading here, verse 12. And they, the generation that came after them, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, little g. That's heart language. That's that's the understanding that you and I we are created in the image of God. Every single person in this room, you're created in the image of God. Our souls, watch this, our souls, we will worship something. You can't Not worship something. Worship is not some religious idea. It's how what you were created to do. You exist to worship. That is the ceaseless overflowing out from you to look to something and say that is great or that is glorious. I can trust in that. That is beautiful. In other words, we were designed to worship God and find our satisfaction and joy and purpose and meaning in worship of God Himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, this generation came into a land, and the Bible says they went after other gods. Their heart began to stray, their heart began to fix on other things. They went after the false gods of the land. Listen, from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. You do know the children of Israel were the minority in the land of Canaan, the vast minority. To be a worshiper of the one true God in that day you were considered weird and peculiar by the Canaanites. Why would you worship the one true God? Why would you not worship, watch this, Baal the God of rain. Now hang with me here. I want you to follow me on this. In other words, we hear this and we go, well, I'm not a worshiper of a false god. I don't have a statue. Listen, their worship of a false god was extremely practical. They, they didn't know how to grow crops. They didn't know how to develop the land. They got in the land. They said, listen, you want to have rain and you want to have crops to live. It, it's, it's Baal. You've got to follow Baal. And all that went along with that, it became very practical. And somewhere along the lines, they had either not been told or they had forgotten. Oh, by the way, Jehovah God, he stopped the river Jordan. He's got the rain covered. And then there was the goddess Ashtaroth that they worshipped in Canaan. You say, well, how does that apply to me? Ashtaroth was the goddess of protection, the goddess of fertility. So they were told, they were continually told, listen, you want to be fertile, you want to be productive, you want to be protected, you want to have security in your life. You got to follow this God and all that goes along with it somehow some way along the way they had forgotten it was jehovah god who had torn down the city of jericho and who was going to fight for them and was their only true source of sufficiency and security and life they had forgotten by the way the same tendency is in your heart and my heart to stray from life-giving God himself, Jesus himself, and the spirit of God living within us. Listen, our hearts like to latch on to anything that comes along. That's why as the people of God, it's for us to come in here and worship together. We're to bury ourselves in the word of God. We're to be in fellowship with one another, to encourage and remind one another, hey man, your heart is fixing on something that will disappoint you. So this next generation, they abandoned the Lord. They went after other gods from the gods of the land. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord their God to anger. So what do we do with this this morning? What what does this mean for us practically as a church family? Well, this is a vivid illustration for us and why we say and why we believe throughout the scripture this principle. The people of God have always been entrusted with the responsibility to tell the next generation about the greatness and the glory of our God. What does that look like for us? What does that look like for us going forward as a a church family and a family of faith? Because you hear about things like the next-gen ministry, and you hear things like the family discipleship plan, and you hear some of these things, and you may be tempted to go, well, that's just for another group, or that's just a curriculum, or that's just the next thing that comes down the pike. Listen, we at the very core believe it is entrusted to the people of God to tell the next generation. It's not an option. It's throughout Scripture Psalm 78 says, we will not hide them from the children, but, the coming, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty act. So for us, for you, we want there to be a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, a generation that looks back and says, thank God for the people of Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Because I was a part of that church, because I was influenced by somebody in that faith family, man, I love Jesus more now. So what does it look like for us? I'm going to try to get really practical with us here. What what does it look like? And again, if you're visiting and maybe you're checking out Tri-Cities, you're going to hear something that's really important to us as a church as we move forward. We use terminology like this. I'll just give you this phrase, family discipleship. It's a core for us. It's core DNA. We define it this way, family discipleship. We say it's a strategic and intentional partnership between the family of faith and the family at home to help the next generation find their joy in Jesus. In other words, that definition for us pushes back on some of the crazy notions that we have. Here's one of the notions. As a parent, here's how I disciple my children. If I can just get them close to a church building, maybe even in a church building, then maybe if I can just get them there, some of the professionals will do the job of discipling my children. Not the way it works. Or some of us as parents have felt, and we've felt this in 19 years of parenting, that it's all up to us and we're all on our own and we're in this journey and this challenge. Man, parenting is hard. Amen? (laughs) As As a parent and a disciple maker in this faith family, you should never feel like, man, I'm in this alone. And I'm trying to figure this thing out by myself. And I'm trying to, I'm checking Dr. Phil in the next Facebook post. That's the best I've got. You should never feel that way. There's this partnership that exists. It's a beautiful picture in Scripture of the family of faith at home, or the family of faith, the family at home, partnership to invest in the next generation for the glory of God. What does that look like? And I'll just say, as a means of disclaimer, again, I'm going to go through some very practical things here. If you say, well, you know, I'm not even a parent, I'm not a grandparent, I'm not even dating anybody, I'd like to be dating somebody, whatever it is, wherever you find yourself, don't check out, because if you are part of this faith family in any way, you have a role in this. You have a role in this. So what does this all mean? What does this look like? I'm going to give you three core convictions that flow out of this for us as a church and explain these to you as best I can this morning. So we talk about family discipleship. Number one, family discipleship begins at home. Does it end at home? Does it stop there? But it begins at home. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, God says this: "Hear, O Israel," speaking to the entire nation as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. "Hear, O Israel: The Lord is our God, the Lord is one." Verse five, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. These words which I am commanding you shall be upon your heart. So when we talk about family discipleship. Family discipleship begins at home, and I want to say it this way. Family discipleship begins with parents or caregivers, whatever the case may be, or a parent, whatever your situation is. It begins with parents who love God deeply. Deuteronomy 6 says, you, speaking to this generation before the generation that was going to come after them, you shall love the Lord your God. This is a call not to religiosity. This is a call not to going through the motions. This is a call, listen to this, not to cultural Christianity. I go and do the Christian thing. This is a call to be developing and growing and pursuing a dynamic, vibrant, faith-filled, joy-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. See, I get really burdened sometimes, and I know you may have these conversations as well. I have these burdens with these parents, who maybe they're new parents, or maybe they've been parents for a while, and their children are maybe giving them a little trouble or whatever the case may be. And they say, "Well, you know what? I, I think I'm going to start coming around the church. I'm not going to get too close. I'm going to kind of, you know orbit around the church, and I'm going to try to get my kids involved in the life of the church, and maybe something there will spill over on them. <laughs> But I don't really want to have anything to do with it. It's not for me. It's for my kids. Because I want my kids to be moral. Whatever that means. Listen to me, parents. With rare exceptions, will your children ever passionately pursue anything that they haven't seen you passionately pursuing? And it's pretty empty to say, if I can just get them to the professionals down at the church, they'll pour in and disciple my children. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Deuteronomy chapter 6, this whole thing about family discipleship, it is a call for you. If you do not... If, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and all of this is foreign to you, your first step is to realize, wait a minute, the reason this is so cumbersome and I don't understand all this for me is because I've never been transformed from the inside out. I don't know Jesus Christ as my life and my Lord and my Savior. How in the world can I model something I don't even have? Your step is to trust Christ with your life. And then for some of you, this is a call to abide in the Word of God. This is a call for you to press into healthy community where you're not trying to go it alone. You're never designed to grow in isolation from other believers. This is a call to grow and to mature and to be healthy and to model a passionate pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where this begins. Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God. It says, verse 7, you shall teach them these words, these truths, these things God is teaching you. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and your daughters. and You shall talk of them as you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, what God is doing in you is spilling out into every area of life. And it's a part of your conversations at dinner. It's a part of your conversations at bedtime. It's a part of your conversation as you go on the river with your kids. It's a part of your conversation as you're driving down the road. Just the natural course of life, but there's a diligence to it. He says, diligently you shall talk to your sons and your daughters. There's a purpose. The word diligent literally means a point. It's the end of a spear. It's going somewhere. There's a diligence to this. Somehow, sometimes we as parents, we fall into the trap of passivity and we think, well, you know, I don't really know what to say and I'm just going to kind of let it all happen by osmosis and I'm not speaking what I know about the Lord Jesus and I don't know enough. And I Listen, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as a parent, you have something to share with your children and we want to help you as a parent. But don't fall into the trap of passivity. Listen to what John Piper says. It is impossible not to teach children about God. Because not to teach them is to teach them plenty. It teaches them, our silence, that Jesus does not matter much. That mom and dad don't consider him nearly as important or as exciting as new furniture, weekends at the lake, dad's job, or all the other things that fill our conversation. Silence is dogma or truth. Not to teach the infinite value of Christ is to teach that he is negligible. And don't fall into that trap of passivity. We have a privilege as parents. It begins with our dynamic, vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So family discipleship, it it begins at home. Let me go over a second conviction and then a third one and we'll be finished. So it begins at home. Conviction number two is this. Family discipleship is the responsibility of the entire family of faith. It begins at home, but it doesn't end at home. We said earlier, it's a strategic and, and intentional partnership between the family of faith and the family at home. So at a church like ours, if you are a part of Tri-Cities and this is, you're, you're a member and you're active, what does it look like to be partnering in this thing called family discipleship? Let me give you a few examples really quick. Number one is it's the equipping of parents. The equipping of parents. We believe, as pastors and leaders, it's our job to do everything we can to systematically equip you in this calling you have as parents. Listen, quick testimony. When my, my first son, Joshua, was born 19 years ago in Memphis, Tennessee, we were at Baptist East Hospital, I remember distinctly walking out of the hospital, Jennifer's in the wheelchair, they're carrying Joshua, he's like a day or two days old at this time. They put him in the car seat in the van, and as I'm driving out of the parking lot, I think, wait a minute, they're letting me leave with him? I, remember, I was horrified. We're taking this This little baby home, I don't have a clue what to do. I don't know anything about parenting. And listen, many of you have felt that before. Some of you guys are feeling that right now. But I want to say thank God for the family of faith. My best resource to learning how to parent, again, was not Dr. Phil of the next Facebook post. It was some godly parents who poured into me. It was a church that taught us. We had models of what it looked like. That's what it means to be an equipping church to teach and equip and give you the resources and the tools to help you in this journey. Here it looks like family discipleship plan that I'm going to talk about more in just a moment. Here it talks about things like many of you all went to this morning called Parent Connect over here that we have on a regular basis. Where you as parents can come and be equipped. You shouldn't be in this battle alone. It it might look like a study group where you take a period of time and invest in study of God's word. It might look like the family discipleship study group that will be starting in just a few weeks to say, I want to be with another group of parents that we can study together and learn together this journey called family discipleship. It might look like you're in a life group with some other couples. (laughs) And you guys pray desperately for one another. And you talk about the struggles of parenting and how you're in this journey together. That you're in community, so you're not in this journey alone. We want to be a church that does that. We're trying to equip you as parents. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. What for? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. In this particular case, the equipping of the ministry of parenting according to God's word. So it looks like equipping parents. It may look like also partnering with parents and caregivers. Here at Tri Cities, if you've been a part of this church at any amount of time, you know we have what's called a next gen team. Our next gen team, the hearts to come alongside parents, not to replace parents, come alongside and equip parents to partner with parents. And to teach the classes and to invest in the students and to lead the ministries that in no way is trying to replace what you do but complements what you do so that there's a partnership going on and investing in the next generation. This is made up of staff members. This is made up of volunteers. This is made up of people like Harold and Laura Marlowe. I don't know if they're in this service or maybe the service earlier. They're an older couple in our church who have been investing in the children as volunteers of this church for years and years and years. It may look like Greg and Carolyn Oliphant who have been doing the same thing, investing in the children of this church, the families of this church, for years and years and years. It may look like Jim and Renee Thompson who invest in our students. It may look like Dan Valley. If you've been a part of this church, anytime you know Dan, Dan tries to talk to everybody that comes to the door. But Dan has been investing in the younger children, the next generation of our church for years and years and years and years. So it's this partnership that takes place. Did you know it takes somewhere around 120 to 130 volunteers every week to pull off ministry that we do here on Sunday morning and Wednesday night as a church? Volunteers, 120. I just want to say if you're here and you serve on our next gen team in the kids area or the children's area or the student area in any capacity Sunday morning, Wednesday night, if you serve on that next gen team in any way, would you just do us the honor simply by raising your hand, kind of wave it at us? I know some of you some of them down here, over here, many of you guys church, could you say a great thank you to these group of people that are serving you and the next generation? And listen, let me tell you what, they're not. They're not glorified babysitters. So the idea is, well, we're gonna go, you know, carry out our childcare duties. That's not what these people do. No, 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 no. These are folks that believe in the next generation and they're taking their time and resources and investing. And let me just say something to you. Many of you in this I, I pray that there's a day in our church where we have to turn away volunteers. <laughs> we're not there. <laughs> This is a massive area where some of you, I'm encouraging you to think, okay, what's my part in investing in the next generation? Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you have that time. Maybe you don't have that time, but you have that conviction. Say, you know what? I want somehow to invest with my church and partner with parents because Scripture calls me to do that. Maybe you need to join the next gen team in some capacity. Team night is coming up this Friday night. It will be here on the, the, the Gray campus, an opportunity for our entire church to come together. You can come. If you're a member, you say, how can I be a part of some team and a part of our church, particularly the Next Gen team? Be here. You can go on our website. Find opportunities there to serve. God may be leading and calling you to serve on our Next Gen team. Real quick, let me, let me read a verse to you, Psalm 71, 18. Everyone here has a part in this. Listen to this verse. I want to speak to a particular group of people, our seniors. Scripture says this, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. That's the psalmist saying, Lord, don't let me pass on until I have declared your mighty works to the next generation. I pray that we are a church that pushes back the myth of retirement being checking out and collecting shells on a beach for 20 years. And if you're here and you're an empty nester, let me just plead with you on behalf of some of our younger couples and plead with you on behalf of some of our students and our younger people in our church. Listen, if you're older and you've walked with Christ for a while, you have so much to give to people who are wanting to hear it. And it may look like you as a senior investing in our next-gen ministry. It may, listen, this would be radical. You ready? It may mean you as a senior in our church sign up for a life group and you get involved in a life group with everybody younger than you, heavens, and you realize, you know what, I've got something to give and you're surrounded by maybe some younger couples or maybe some single moms, and they need somebody to look to and they need somebody to lock arms with, like John and Janice Brooks in this church who invest in younger couples, please do not believe the myth of retirement that that means I check out and I just go out to pasture till I die. May Psalm 71 be yours. Lord, don't forsake me until I've invested in the next generation. And then when you pass on, there's somebody and there's a group of people saying, thank God for Mike. I love Jesus because of the investment Mike made in my life. Amen. Last point, we're finished. Family discipleship begins at home. Family discipleship involves the entire family of faith. And then finally, family discipleship demands a plan. What's your plan? What's our plan? A few weeks ago, my family got in the bus, we call it. With five kids, you almost kind of have to have a bus, and we're headed down to Myrtle Beach for a family vacation. And let me tell you how we didn't approach that trip. We're going to spend hours loading up our suitcases, and we're finally going to get all the kids in the car, and we're going to say, okay, let's just get on the road, and we'll just drive till something stands out to us. We might get somewhere, we might not. We don't know where we're going, but here we go. That may appeal to some of you, but nothing of significance usually happens that way. Usually, there's a destination that you want to get at and a roadmap or a path that you follow to get there. Listen, I want you to know you're a part of a church that a team of people for years have been diligently working to develop what we call the family discipleship plan. It's a tool, it's a tool. It's simply a tool that gives us together as a family of faith, the family of faith here, the family of faith at home, something to follow together so that what your kids and what they're receiving here is the same thing that they're receiving at home. And there's a consistency of how we're investing and in speaking in the lives of our kids. The family discipleship plan, it's not a curriculum. It's not really just a curriculum that you check off. It's a pursuit that we're pursuing together. It's a road map. It's a roadmap that takes each stage of life of the next generation of our children and focuses the, the, pur- the, the significance of the gospel into that significant stage of life. For example, our preschoolers are taught, and you as parents will be equipped to teach this who is God? What are the attributes of God? God is creator, father, son, Holy Spirit, powerful, love, gracious. You're teaching that at home. You come and it's, it's reinforced by what they hear here. Elementary is taught the story of the gospel. From creation and fall and redemption and restoration and how the gospel infiltrates every area of our lives. Middle schoolers. Listen, i got to be honest. When I was a middle schooler back in the day, I needed some help. I needed somebody speaking into my life. Middle schoolers are taught their identity in Christ, what it means to be a child of God, what it means to find your identity in Christ. I mean, how important is it for a middle schooler who is told everything under the sun of what it means to be significant and where to find life if they are taught at home and they're consistently taught by their faith family? Listen, ultimately your identity is found in Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? And then for our high schoolers, they're taught their influence. That's the ark of the gospel, that then you'll be sent out to your high schools and sent out to the ends of the earth. And we plead for a movement where we send out people to the unreached people groups of the earth, but that comes after discipleship of our children and the next generation, and they're sent because of their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So for you, parents, there's a tool that's available to you. Your next step may simply be to be on, go online and check out that tool. And maybe to download the app and look at the tool that you can begin to use at home. And I want you to watch a short video of a uh, quick testimony of someone who's trying to use the family discipleship plan. It's not perfect. It's messy. But there's a pursuit of using this in her home. So go ahead and roll that video.
1: Hey, I'm Mindy Ball, and this is Knox. And we have been doing the family discipleship plan for a couple of weeks now in our house. Um, I can remember a couple of times using it with my kids, but one specific time is when (laughs) my kids kept asking me, how big is God? And so I would compare Him to mountains, and they would ask me, well, can God pick up a car? I'd say, yeah, God's that big. He's so strong, He just picks it up, no problem. But they would constantly ask me, how big is God? And, And no matter what object I could think of that was big, it was never enough to answer their question. Well, one day we sat down with Family Discipleship Plan, and the verse was Isaiah 66:1. 1, the earth is my footstool and the heavens are my throne. And so we got on online and we looked up pictures of the world and I said, that's what God just uses as a stool, he just kicks his feet up on there, that's how big he is. And right then and there it cleared up everything for them of how big God really was. So instead of going straight to the word, I was using all kinds of earthly understanding when I could have just opened up God's word and my question for them was answered right there. So I have two first graders and a four-year-old. So the family discipleship plan has really helped us to stay focused on God's word throughout the day and throughout our weeks.
0: <laughs> That's real life right there. Isn't it? I love that. So I just want you to hear the big principle and the big ideas. We kind of enter into a time of response. We're going to close in just a minute. I want you to hear this. The people of God have always been entrusted with the responsibility to tell the next generation about the greatness and the glory of our God it's the family of faith it's us and that's the family at home working together partnering together in this for the greatness and the glory of God so what's your part maybe even what's your next step as a parent as a caregiver as a part of this church what's your next step again it may be to go and familiarize yourself with the family discipleship plan It may be to plug into a study group where you can grow in that area. It may be to be part of a life group where you're with other parents who are struggling with the same thing. It may be as a senior to plug into a life group and invest in some younger couples who are trying to figure it all out. What if, this is one of the what if moments. Listen, what what if we as a family of faith, as a church family, Consistently, not perfectly at all, but consistently for the next 3, 5, 10, 15 years, we're investing the gospel truth into those God entrusts to us as parents and as a church. Do you imagine a young man or a young woman growing up and they're taught who God is from birth in a systematic biblical way? When they enter into elementary, they're taught the the beauty of the gospel and what the gospel is. Not just just the gospel, but how the gospel infiltrates every area of life. As a middle schooler, they're taught your identity is in Christ. And then they're launched out into the world that your influence flows from Christ in you. Go make disciples. It's glorious. What's What's your part in that? I have a part. You have a part. What is your part in that? Would you bow your heads for just a second? I want to give you just a few moments to think through that prayerfully, and then we're going to sing together, and we'll be dismissed in just a moment. But what's your part in it? What's your part in it, parent, caregiver, grandparent, senior adult, single? You have a part. I pray you'll take just a moment here before the Lord just let the Spirit of God lead you to know what your next step may be. Every bit of that is driven, it's made possible because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not teaching moralism, we're not teaching try harder do better, we're teaching one has come, one has died, one has risen from the dead and He has done for you what you could never do on your own. Christianity is not what we do for God, it is what he has done for us, it is the gospel so Father I pray for my brothers and sisters here I plead for this church Lord that you would lead us, empower us God that generations to come would thank God and they love Jesus more because of the influence of the men and women in this room We ask that for your glory I just ask you to remain seated for a moment as our team is going to sing truth over us